fresh take on an old classic, Kyle? You think that's what the people are in the mood for? I think you may be right, Kyle. I think you're onto something. DarbyCast, Economics Wednesday. And what has Kyle brought to my attention? The fact that we haven't done a Folklore Wednesday in quite some time. Folklore is a good time. Sure, we did the Lord of the Rings, but why don't we dial it back a couple hundred years, right? If you are newer to the Darby cast and you have not listened to the episodes The Miller's Hot Daughter and Bearskins and Bratwursts, you are missing out. Get those handled, then maybe you track back to this. But before we jump into the delightful Brothers Grimm tale, as we occasionally do on the Darby cast, Kyle, let me just tell you about a fresh take on an old classic. Arby's. They just redefined sandwiches. You thought you knew what a roast beef sandwich is, was, and should be. And then Arby's, out of nowhere. Every time. Seems like they just have a nearly bottomless supply of authentic inspiration. I know you know, Kyle, but for the people who don't know about Arby's, a lot of people wonder, why is it called Arby's? And just a little history lesson, back in the late 1800s, John Arby was cooking up some steak and he decided to slice it thinly and put it between two slices of bread. John Arby. Talk about a name that holds quite a bit of weight. That's how you really just pull rank on someone, right? Like, yeah, I'm actually an heir to the Arby's fortune, so watch your fucking mouth. Can you imagine insulting Arby's or any sort of sandwich in front of somebody who hailed from House Arby? It would be so dangerous. That situation would have the potential to really get out of control supremely quickly. One second, you're saying, I actually like turkey sandwiches the best. And the next second, you've got an ice pick to your temple and you don't know where he went wrong. Moral of the story, this little story about John Arby and his progeny is don't mess with him. You shouldn't. It's the story of Arby's. All right, joke's over. Arby's is the phonetic spelling of the initials R and B which stand for roast beef, which is what the restaurant specializes in. R-B's. Should we go get an R-B sandwich? A roast beef sandwich? There, I've spelled it out in its entirety. But if you so happen to ever find yourself in a conversation where somebody's like, hey, so why do you think it's named Arby's? You go with the first version and you tell them and you never change the story. You never tell them what it actually means. That little nugget's just for you. You're in the know, but you're going to get a lot more out of telling people a good story with a serious set of morals. That's what folklore does for us. You see how I turned Arby's into a serious story? That can be done in a lot of different ways, and that is the essence of culture. It is, and is how we communicate what matters to us through language and stories. And so today, 
I think the most important thing that we can do is discuss Little Red Riding Hood. Really do it justice. Because there are themes in Little Red Riding Hood that supersede the meaning that you're going to find in just about any story that you've ever heard. If, and only if, you're listening to this version, the version on the Darby cast. If you Googled the phrase, fresh takes on Little Red Riding Hood, you wouldn't find anything that would really expand your understanding. But lo and behold, here you are, chomping at the proverbial bit, drooling in anticipation of falling in love with a familiar story in a whole new way. Rediscovering what it means to be a naive child walking along a path and encountering a predator. If this sounds like something that you can get behind, continue listening. If you are one of the rare listeners saying to yourself, I don't want this, then we will gladly applaud your departure. Turn this off and go sit in a corner somewhere. No contact with anyone. Sit in the corner and think about how much you just don't get it. You're saying, what's it? And I'm saying it's more things than you can even imagine. Go sit in the corner, you dunce. Okay, so let's get into it. Little Red Riding Hood, European fairy tale about a young girl and a big bad wolf. Origins of this story, not quite as old as the story we discussed in The Miller's Hot Daughter, which is what? Rumpelstiltskin. Thousands of years old is Rumpelstiltskin. But we can find the origins of Little Red Riding Hood, trace it back to about the 10th century. However, the best-known version, written by whom? Charles Perrault, known in some circles as Chuck Perrault or Chucky P. Not a lot of circles know him as that, but some. For those of you who are really into folklore, this is an Arne Thompson grouping type 333. Triple threes? Whoa. Talk about numerology's wildest wet dream. This story has changed and morphed quite a bit over time, which I find horribly inappropriate in some regard. Many of the new adaptations and versions are complete and utter horseshit. So we're going to stick to an amalgamation of the stories that I prefer. This is probably going to be violent. I'm not going to lie to you. If you can't tolerate extreme violence in a story like this, Corner's waiting for you. So let's dive into this one. So the story revolves around a girl named, not surprisingly, Little Red Riding Hood. In Chuck Peralt's version, she's named after her cape, but it's like, Chuck, wake up. She wasn't born in a cape. She has a real name. She has a birth name. Chuck, really disrespectful. But let's pick up where the story picks up. The girl, Little Red Riding Hood, is walking through the woods to deliver food to her sickly grandmother. Wine and cake is what she's bringing. Because we all know when your immune system is staving off something potentially deadly as all hell, that the best thing for you 
is alcohol and sugar. Now, the Brothers Grimm, those German fellows, in their version, her mother orders her to stay on the path on her way to Grandmama. Won't stay on the path when you go see your Grandmama. Einen kleinen Spaneinen. That is so important. Listen to your mom. But where's the dad? Right? He's nowhere to be found. Is he off working? Is he chasing tail? Does Little Red Riding Hood even have a father? Or did she simply congeal in a cauldron? Which would be par for the course for many of these stories. So much weird stuff happens in German folklore of the 1800s. That would not be something that would be out of the realm of possibility. But she has no paternal influence. And so she totally just doesn't even regard what her mother says. She doesn't talk back to her mom, which is something that I appreciate. But in her head, she's thinking, Mom, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go out and explore the world and all it has to offer. I can do whatever I want. Mom. So no paternal influence. We all know how terribly that turns out for young gals. Boy, do they end up in precarious situations and have an overflowing lifestyle stained with hubris, malevolence, and oftentimes extreme sluttiness as well. Not saying Little Red Riding Hood is a slut. I'm not insinuating that Little Red Riding Hood is destined to grow up to be a filthy tramp, a street-walking hussy, a corner-carousing harlot. I'm not saying that, but I am saying the conditions exist that would make that very easy for her to slip into. Okay, so Little Red Riding Hood, she sets out with her wine and her cake, practically. Marie Curie, just nurse extraordinaire. And she's cruising along the path. And who starts eyeballing her? The big bad wolf. And let's lay this out right now. Probably a metaphor for a seasoned and tactical rapist. He stalks her in the woods from behind some trees, bushes, shrubs. And patches of tall grass. And if that's not rapey as can be, I don't know what is. After stalking her for quite some time, he goes up to her and he's like, hey, babe, what's, uh, what are you doing? And at a time like this, you're just thinking to yourself, as a Darby cast doctor, you're like, man, I wish Chris Matthews were around so he could grab that wolf by the scruff of his neck and say, why don't you take a seat over here? Say, what were you planning on doing, huh, pal? Why don't you just go ahead and have a seat right over there? But Chris Matthews is not there to intervene. This is not a setup to catch a predator. Little Red Riding Hood is not so lucky. So the wolf approaches Little Red Riding Hood and he's like, oh, hey, babe, like you're a sexy looking specimen. And it's like, good Lord, man, like, you're laying it on a little thick. And he's like, yeah, so where are you going? What are you up to? And Little Red Riding Hood, remember, doesn't have any sort of paternal influence. So she is naive and whimsical, just 
thinks that life is all rainbows, sunshine, daffodils, and somersaults or whatever reason. And the wolf is like, so where are you going? Like, what's up? And she tells him where she's going. Ladies, take note of this. If a stranger asks you where you're going, do not tell him or them. I don't know if there's female wolves out there. There must be equality, right? There's male predators out there. There must be female predators as well. Okay, continuing. She tells the wolf, yeah, I'm going to my grandma's house and I'm bringing her some items so she can get a sugar rush and then get shit-faced. And after that, she'll be right as rain, nursed fully back to health. That's how medicine works. They didn't know a ton about medicine back then, so just give them a break, right? But the wolf says, Hey, babe, well, you know what would be a real solid play is if you pick some flowers as a present for your grandma. And she's like, oh, my God, you're so right. I trust you because I've never been instructed by my father to not trust strange men who approach me with glib speech and really inappropriate eye contact. It's too strong. That's what the wolf is doing. It's like, dude, you have the stare of a depraved soul. The eyes are the window to the soul, and I'm looking at yours, and I got to tell you something, Wolf, you are a bad dude. I see it. You can't hide it. So as Little Red Riding Hood is picking flowers, the wolf takes off, and he goes to the grandma's house because he knows where she's going because she told him, played right into his Master plan. Goes to grandma's house. The wolf does. He gains entry by pretending to be Little Red Riding Hood. This rapist is just duping everyone. Grandma's like, I'm senile and my eyes aren't so good. Come on in, granddaughter. And then the wolf breaks in, eats the grandmother whole, goes to her closet, puts on some grandma looking clothes, goes in the bed and waits for Little Red Riding Hood to show up. Very elaborate plan. Very dangerous. Incredibly inappropriate. So the wolf is disguised as the grandma, hanging out in bed, just knowing that that poor girl that he is planning to do miserable things to, she is on her way. When Little Red Riding Hood arrives, she notices that her grandmother looks exceptionally strange. Red says, hey, grandma, brought you your favorite wine. It's Franzia. It's five gallons of box wine in a plastic bladder. You can sip this for a long time. You will be fully wasted for days. I was thinking of you, and this is what I came up with. The wolf says, hell yeah. Little Red responds, wow, what a deep voice you have, grandmama. And the wolf says, the better to greet you with, brother. And it's like, oh, God, you're a creep. And then Red starts to notice other things that just aren't quite on the level. She's like, goodness gracious, what big eyes you have. Wolf says, the better to see you with, you sexy individual. Red kind of pauses, thinks to herself, like, my grandma doesn't usually say stuff like that. But then again, she's not feeling so well. So what do I know? She continues to survey her quote-unquote grandmother and says, what big hands you have, 
And the wolf says, the better to embrace you with. And at this point, red should have some red flags going off. Or it's like, no old person should ever refer to any of their appendages as augmenting their abilities to give diesel hugs. That's not okay. That's just not. But again, no paternal influence, big red, little red, whatever you want to call her. She just doesn't get it. And so she continues commenting on the appearance of the wolf in her grandmother's clothing. She says, what a big mouth you have. It's like, don't ever say that to an old person. I don't care if they are a wolf in somebody else's clothes. Chances are most old people aren't. And if you comment like you've got an oversized mouth, they're probably going to take it the wrong way. I don't know what way they're going to take it, but it's certainly not going to be well received. So just put that in your back pocket as a key takeaway from this episode. And as soon as she says, what a big mouth you have, Wolf cries out, the better to eat you with. And then he jumps out of the bed and eats her too. And then he takes a nap. Because what else do you do after a big meal? You just sleep it off. And in Chuck Peralt's version of the story, it just ends here, which I think is just a sign of exemplary work where you have the artistic integrity to let a story fall off a cliff at an emotionally terribly unsatisfying juncture. I respect that more than anyone will ever know. But let's jump to the Brothers Grimm. The German version, a hunter shows up at the hut. He just knocks on the door and he's like, hey, old lady, I'm just stopping by. I'm a good neighbor. Just wanted to make sure everything was okay with you. That is certainly lost from our society now. That like a strapping individual, a youthful hunter, of which I don't think there are a ton. Certainly not on the coasts of the country. Bunch of a jay scared of guns. Maybe somewhere in the heartland. Maybe Freedom Town, USA, or just on the outskirts. And if you don't know about Freedom Town, USA, let me point you in the correct direction, which is what? Episode 11 of the Darby cast. It's called We Have a T-Rex. Listen to it. It's important. But that's where the hunters reside, outside of Freedom Town. High ethics, good attitudes, willing to check up on widowed grandmas. Just to be like, hey, old lady, are you okay? You haven't fallen and broken your hip or anything, have you? That is being a good neighbor. Also, put that in your back pocket. That's a good call. That's another gem from this episode that I sure hope that you are going to integrate into your day-to-day. And be like, I got to find some old hag in my area and make sure she's okay. From time to time, like, don't be a nuisance, but you just, you know, maybe once a fiscal quarter, you just say like, Mrs. McGillicuddy, are you all right? Moving on. The hunter shows up at the house on his routine neighborly whodunit, and he's got an ax because he's chopping down trees, multi-talented fella. Some days he's getting it handled with a musket. Other days he's felling trees with an axe. It's like, wow, you are an impressive outdoorsman, sir. Hunter shows up, old lady, grandma. She doesn't answer the knocks at the door. So what does he suspect? Something's happened. She'll forgive me for 
what I'm about to do to this door. And then he just goes, kicks the thing off its hinges, sees the wolf sleeping on the floor. And he's like, you son of a bitch, I knew it was you. And I sure hope you're still holding in your mind the metaphorical parallels that we've established earlier, that the hunter is just a good guy. Let's just flesh this out. Hunter represents a good guy. Wolf represents a wily rapist. Hunter shows up and says, you son of a bitch. You defiled an old lady and her granddaughter. You're about to get what's coming to you. So he takes his axe and he slices open that wolf's belly, spilling a whole lot of nonsense out onto the hardwood floor. And it's like, oh, this is such a better choice than having carpet in the house. Good job. Grandma and Little Red Riding Hood roll out of the belly. They're pretty rattled, but they're unharmed. The wolf is somehow still alive. This makes very little sense to me, but let's continue. The hunter drags the wolf by his tail out of the house to the edge of the forest where there are stones, boulders. And he just starts taking these rocks and placing them inside the wolf's belly where the grandma and Little Red Riding Hood had been moments earlier. Then, multi-talented Hunter pulls some aggressive surgical maneuvers and sews up the wounds of the wolf, keeping the rocks, heavy rocks, inside. The wolf's like, oh, what the hell are you doing, man? And the hunter responds accordingly, and he's like, no, what were you doing? You don't get to ask questions at this point, Mr. Wolf. You lost that right. You are not a good dude. And the wolf is trying to plead his case. He's like, this is cruel and unusual punishment. And the hunter's like, you have no ground to stand on. Do you understand what a terrible individual you are? The things you did to that old lady and her horribly naive fatherless grandchild? You son of a bitch? Called out. Now, there's a lot of different ways that this story has been told to play out when the wolf gets rocks in his bellies. In some versions, the wolf tries to scamper off. He doesn't do a good job of it. And in his exhaustion from laboriously trying to heave his body around the forest, he just cannot hack it. He's like, ah, I need some water. And then in some versions, he gets a sip of water, but he goes a little too far in and the stones weigh him down and he drowns. Let's talk about the Darby cast version ending, which is obviously going to be the best one ever. The hunter looks at the wolf and he's like, dude, nice stomach. Looks a little weighed down. What's going on with you? And the wolf's like, why are you doing this to me? The hunter's like, you know why? The wolf's like, well, that's a good point. And then the hunter just starts tapping the wolf's belly with the blunt end of his axe. And by tapping, I mean violently. Think about like a PGA Tour golfer, full swing off the tee. That is what the hunter is doing to this wolf's belly. He's hitting the rocks. He's ruining the axe, but he doesn't care. He's like, I can get another axe, but there will only be one chance for me to treat this vile creature as wrong as possible. Wolf is letting out some pretty strange noises, howls, yelps, and then a bunch of other wolves, also rapists, emerge out of the woods to eyeball the situation. 
And the hunter stops for a moment and he starts making eye contact with the rest of the wolves. And he calls out, he says, let this be a lesson to all of you that you need to get out. You need to go somewhere really far away because I've had enough of you. And you're seeing what's happening to your compadre here. He just, the German guy speaks a little Spanish out of nowhere. That's the Darby Cast version for you. It says, if you don't want the sorts of things to happen to you as they are to your amigo here, then via con Dios, go with God. And the wolves, they're not okay because they're seeing unspeakable violence done to one of their own. But they also get the lesson. They're like, we have no business beguiling fatherless women into precarious situations. And doing such a thing probably has consequences. That's what the wolves discuss at their evening meetup, because that's what they do every night in the woods. And typically they discuss all sorts of misdeeds that they plan on exacting upon helpless young ladies. But this time at their meetup, they're like, we need to secure fake identities. I know a guy who can get us passports and get us out of the country. I am not okay with what happened to Gary happening to us. That was the wolf's name, Gary. And meanwhile, Gary, the wolf, still alive. And what's going on with Gary? I'll tell you what, the hunter is still posted up next to him and Gary is just on his last legs. He is nearly dead. But the hunter's like, death is too easy of a punishment for you. So he's like, here, have a little food, have a little water. Just keeping him alive so he can extend the torture. And what's that? Blowing in the wolf's ears. Just for hours. I don't know if anybody's ever blown air into your ears lightly, but it kind of tickles. It's not the best feeling. Now imagine that being done for 16 hours straight with brakes only for waterboarding and electric shocks via a car battery that's hooked up to Gary the wolf's penis. A lot of you right now are asking yourselves like, whoa, what the hell's going on? Why did this get so gnarly? And I'm going to tell you, if you think that this is gnarly, trace it back to the beginning of this story because the wolf fired the first shot, right? Right. At the end of the day, the hunter, really good guy. Exceptionally good guy. My only criticism of him, he almost went a little too easy on the wolf. So let's talk about themes. Some nerds have interpreted this story as solar mythology, saying that Little Red Riding Hood's hood could represent the bright sun, which is ultimately swallowed by the terrible night, aka the wolf, and the variations in which she is cut out of the wolf's belly represent the dawn. And it's like, listen here, people who interpret it that way, talk about missing the point entirely. What a bad call. So let's continue with other interpretations. You can also look at this story as a rite of passage from childhood to adulthood of Little Red Riding Hood, that she entered the wolf's belly as a child and emerged scarred for life by a traumatic experience 
and will never be the same again. AKA is an adult female who had something horrible happen to her because her father was not in the picture. And that can be said quite easily. In anthropological circles of scholars, this is described as kind of the liminal state of a myth, of a story that really starts when she leaves home. Does she enter the liminal state where the story has begun, but she is in this transformative process only to emerge later as a transformed being? Again, scarred for life, never be the same. We'll never trust anyone. And let's go back to the Darby cast interpretation, which is quite similar to that of Susan Brown Miller describing the fairy tale as a description of horrible sexual mistreatment. You've got a lot of revisionists telling this story, choosing to focus on the story as somehow being empowering. And it's like, this is not okay. What happened to this poor girl is not empowering. It is tragic. And if you are trying to describe it as anything but such, you are an apologist and therefore complicit and an enabler of predators and predatory behavior. You, as a result of that fact, are practically a despicable rapist yourself. Many of you are reeling in disgust right now, but also amazement. Disgusted by the antics of that really low ethics series of actions by the wolf. Amazed that there was such a good guy in the hunter to show up and correct the wrongs of an absolute stain on that forest region. Still talking about the wolf. Such a bad influence in the area. What's a big takeaway? If you know somebody, a criminal in your neighborhood, keep an eye on them. And the second they mess up, fill their belly with rocks and teach them a lesson. Some of you have been disgusted by the level of brutality displayed by the hunter. And to that, I say, grow up. Grow the hell up. That needed to be done in a huge way. Nobody in this entire world accepts your squeamishness as a legitimate counterpunch to the actions of the hunter, which were justified. And again, my only criticism of the hunter, he went real easy on that wolf, all things considered. Takeaway for young ladies, if you don't have a dad, boy, are you in trouble. Um, that's it. Yeah, that's uh, it's the long and the short of that one. Takeaway for old grandmas, maybe you don't live alone. I'm not saying live in an old folks home, because I don't think that's the right solution either. But you need to be better connected with somebody. You can't just hope that some hunter named Johan is going to show up and save the day. That isn't always going to happen, Gretchen. That was her name. That was the grandma's name, Gretchen. It's a German female name. Sounds more like a power tool than a female name, but that is the name of the grandma, according to me. And now you, you're an authority on this story. And I give you full permission. I give you my blessing to go out and tell this story to as many people as possible in a way that does it justice. And if you'd like to amplify the violence done to the wolf, I would say that's okay. That's better than okay. It's positively essential. 
use your imagination in a way that almost terrifies you and be like, what would I do to some scallywag, some scoundrel, some ruffian, some bandit who is terrorizing the woods that I call home? Wow. Takeaways for bros. Get some skills. Learn how to hunt. Get handy with an axe because those skills are going to pay off. Oh, they will. They totally will. Another takeaway for young gals, if you know that you're easily duped by strangers, don't put yourself in those kind of situations where you're likely to end up on the wrong side of a whodunit, right? And I think that's going to do it for this wonderful episode of DarbyCast, this Economics Wednesday, this Folklore Wednesday. Economic lessons were so brazen and obvious that I don't even think I needed to lay them out explicitly. I feel like that would have been an insult to you, the listener, a slap to your face and your overflowing levels of intelligence. I just don't want to do such a thing. Let's take a quick time out. Also, imagine if this were your first RB cast. There are some people that this is their entry point. Boy, does that just wake you up harder than an Evanescence track. Imagine being that person who was just sleepwalking through life, just going through the motions. All of a sudden, here's this episode, and then it's like, wait a second. I matter. I can do the right thing in so many ways. To hell with Chris Matthews. I can be something more, something greater. Because Chris Matthews, side note, Dude doesn't have the balls to take one of those dirt bags aside and give him the lesson that he needs to learn, right? And I want to just call this out before I bid you adieu. I love the fact that the hunter, as much as you love this fact, that the hunter used the wolf as leverage to impress a point on the wolf's peers and said, Oh, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Just know that there's going to be consequences for it. Oh, yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah, abduct females. Yeah, go ahead. See what happens. Fuck around and find out. That's what the hunter did. Really impressive. Really admirable, honorable, high prestige move. Something only a hero would be capable of. I want you to contemplate all the things you took away from this episode. Maybe you sit down with somebody and you have a discussion, kind of break it down. I hope that exists for you as a DarbyCast doctor, that occasionally you call up a friend and you say, do you mind if we take a quick two-week pause in our customary book club and maybe integrate a podcast into our discussion group, our philosophy club? Could we do that? I'm so aligned with you doing that. That sounds great. But that'll do it for DarbyCast, back Friday.